Welcome to the Give to Profit podcast, the podcast that inspires business owners, entrepreneurs and leaders to turn their business into a profitable force for good. During our weekly episodes, you'll hear business leaders and entrepreneurs share how they put social impact at the heart of their business and the many benefits that come from doing this. You can find full show notes for today's show and additional resources at givetoprofit.com. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, where it would also be great if you could leave us a rating and review. For every review this month, we'll be sponsoring a child to go to school for a day in Cambodia. And so now, here's your host, business mentor, speaker and author, Alison McKenzie. Hi, this is Alison and thanks for tuning in to the Give to Profit podcast. Today I'm delighted to be speaking to Paul Zeltzer from Awarepreneurs and we're going to be discussing how to grow your social impact through community. I've known Paul for a couple of years and I've watched him with keen interest as he's built up an incredible online community of social entrepreneurs who are doing good in the world. And one of the things I really admire about Paul is his courage to be true to himself and what's important to him. So let me just start by telling you a little about Paul and then I'll introduce you and get things going. So Paul runs a global coaching practice helping conscious entrepreneurs and business leaders to take their businesses to the next level and increase the transformational impact that they have in their organizations and the world. He is also the founder of Awarepreneurs and hosts a podcast show of the same name where he is a champion of meaningful conversations about social justice. Away from work, Paul enjoys just about anything you can do in the mountain high country, power yoga and dark chocolate. What a fantastic mix, Paul. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Are you another dark chocolate lover, Alison? Oh, yes, especially if it's raw. <laughs> oh, good. Thanks for having me and I love what you're up to. I'm so honored to be here. It's just brilliant to be connecting with you. And for anybody listening who doesn't know about you, I wonder if you could just start by sharing a little about who you are and how you've come to be doing what you're doing. Yeah, sure. It's been quite a cir- uh, circular route. If anybody's looking for a straight line, you got the wrong podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so there's some incidents in my life in my teens where I really got out of balance with drugs and alcohol. And after a particularly bad incident in my later teens, a very wise woman sat down with me and she said, Paul, you are wired for poignant experiences. And this goes one of two ways. You can either develop some practice to cultivate that poignancy and put it to use in the world. And there's lots of ways to do that. She talked about meditation and all these different practices that a lot of people on this show will understand and have their versions of. Or you can have a lifetime of drama and addiction and probably an early death. So like, make your choice and I hope you choose the former. There's lots of ways to do it. She didn't tell me me how to do it. She just encouraged me and explained my nervous system to me. It was a gift of a lifetime. So as I was looking at, okay, graduating high school, I got sober, I did find meditation and started really diligently experimenting. I heard her. It made sense what she was saying. And as I continued that exploration, I wound up doing things like going to the Omega Institute and doing a summer there. If anybody doesn't know it, it's a place of holistic studies and all kinds of teachers, 
all kinds of awareness practices from all the world, go there. And I ultimately landed at a place called Leslie University in 1989 to get a master's degree in awareness-based counseling psychology. We were right down the road. We were about 12, dial, 12 miles down the road from John Kabat-Zinn, if anybody knows him. He's considered one of the founders of the modern mindfulness movement. Herbert Benson was two miles in the other direction. He was at Harvard and wrote a book called The Relaxation Response, Our Nervous Systems and How Awareness Practices can help us in terms of our physical health and emotional well-being. And across the river was Joan Borisenko, who has done incredible work around women's health and using mindfulness and wellness practices. And this was in 1989 through 1991. So I got involved in this kind of modern awareness movement pretty early, pretty young. And fast forward, I came to New Mexico, did incredible, I had a degree in counseling psychology with these awareness practice focuses. And so I came to New Mexico, a place that has a deep history of soulfulness and community and creativity being more important than money. And I moved here in 1993. And this place became a real teacher for me. And my work was all about being doing community work as a community mental health practitioner, doing a lot of things like restorative justice for 15 years. I burned out and needed to reinvent myself. And I was reinventing myself about the same time as a friend of mine here in New Mexico, a guy named Soren Gordhammer. And Soren eventually wrote a book and created a conference called Wisdom 2.0, which has gone global. There'll be 4,000 people there uh, February of 2018. And over the past 10 years, I kind of came back to my awareness roots and combined it with the social justice kind of community-oriented work I did here for 15 years. And now make my living. I have two businesses, a marketing consulting business that works with people who have awareness and wellness businesses who want that social impact orientation. And then I'm the founder of Awarepreneurs, a 2,600-member community of social impact and awareness-based entrepreneurs that are all over the world. So that's the short version. It was a lot more complicated than that, but I'll spare you the boring details. <laughs> you know, it's all, I think it's always fascinating to hear that it's not necessarily even that round journey. It's the way that you, we go around and do different things and come to be the person that we are at any point in time in our lives. And I think that's what you are doing now in terms of you have that alignment with the different parts of you and are bringing that through and helping so many other people do that too. And especially when what I'm hearing is, especially since that conversation, you, ha you were very lucky to have early on that making a difference sounds as if it's been one of your key drivers and motivators. It so, really has been. Yeah. So in terms of, you know, we're discussing today how to grow your social impact through community. Could you share more about how you've done that? I mean, I know that I've just watched in awe of what you've been doing over the last few years, but could you maybe share to our listeners what that's about? Yeah, I have to give credit to mentors I've had in numbers different situations. A mentor of mine named Stephen Botkin, who helped me. I used to do work around ending men's violence and other issues that were late, you know, engaging men as fathers. He's an incredible community builder, now works for an organization called Men's Resources International. And wonderful, wonderful mentors here in New Mexico who are doing on-the-ground work in the Native communities here. We have the second highest Native American population in the United States and the highest proportion of Hispanic Latinos. So my mentors are the Hispanic grandmothers of northern New Mexico and the tribal leaders here in New Mexico. And Taos Pueblo is the 
oldest continually inhabited building in North America. They've been living in the same building, not the same land, not just drinking the same water, but literally caring for the same building for a thousand years, which in North America is not common. Right. So those are my mentors. And I learned that offline. And that was the work I was doing, restorative justice and initiatives to help reduce alcoholism and domestic violence. And these were my mentors. So when I came online and I saw the level of dialogue, you know, I got online, I needed to reinvent myself. I got tired of the, all the trauma and tired of being a broke social worker. I had a kid and I was you know, coming into my late 30s and starting to look at 40. And I was like, oh man, I'm in trouble. I can't keep doing <laughs> so I came online, yeah, about 10, 11 years ago. Yeah, it was 2007. Both Soren and I both needed to reinvent ourselves. And we got online. And what I saw was that the level of conversation was very me-based. I have the solution, you know, buy my product, you know, buy whatever it is, whether it was something to sell more courses or a water, you know, purification thing that a social enterprise was doing. People were talking about collaboration, but they weren't doing it very well, not according to the very high bar that some of my mentors here in northern New Mexico, you know, we don't have a lot of cash resources, but the social equity here in New Mexico is incredible. It's off the charts. I've never experienced anything like it. So I brought some of that awareness and those practices that we learned by being in this work together around these hard issues here and started doing things like creating online communities. First, I worked as the director of social media for Wisdom 2.0 and helped that community grow from a conference. When I came on board, there were 600 members. The next year, there were 1,800 people who came to the conference. So we tripled it in about a year. And so I got to get mentored by some of the best online people, people who are actually working for Twitter and built it and built Facebook and, you know, Jeff Weiner, the CEO of LinkedIn, is a very common speaker at Wisdom 2.0. So I got to combine the best of sort of more traditional offline community building with direct conversations with people who are building social technologies. Um, so I've, I've just kind of, not because I'm so great, I just sort of locked into great membership, mentoring, I'm sorry, about how do you build communities both online and off and took that as, wow, there's a real opportunity to raise the bar for what we can do as communities when we're distributed and using social technologies to really increase our impact. It's oftentimes in the circles I moved in, talking about moving from me to we and easy to say and much harder to do, <laughs> but I've had some really great yeah, I mean, would you care to share, you know, just some, like, how you approach things, you know, how you come up, a lot of people that I know, they don't know how to facilitate those discussions, you know, to get that engagement going in things so that those meaningful discussions are happening are actually about impact. How have you gone about doing that? One of the pieces that came into my a gift I got from one of my mentors, Allison, is the idea to really notice how online, how timid people are about taking a stand for their core values. Not everybody, but for the most part, most people are trying to get people to like them and are afraid of making waves. And given the hard conversations was experienced having here in New Mexico, you know, as a social worker, if there was a drug addicted baby born at two o'clock in the morning, my beeper went off in the middle of the night, right? I was used to some pretty hard situations. Mm -hmm. I'd built that muscle. So one of the things that my mentors talked a lot about is help me see that online, how much people were kind of oftentimes jockeying for position to be right rather than really engaging around dialogue and the hard conversations and that people were really hungry for it. They just didn't know how to do it. 
right? They didn't see many models. So that was one of the best pieces of advice I ever got. What are the hard conversations that most people in your sector or in sectors that are close to you are afraid to have? And how do you create the safety and the infrastructure and the trust to start to move into those conversations? And if you're the person who's holding the real genuine conversations that most people in your sector aren't willing to go to, or they're just touching on it at a very, very surface level, usually from fear, then your community is going to grow. If you're not having those conversations, then you're stuck with things like using click funnels or some you know, mechanical technology, Facebook ads. And these are great things. I'm not putting them down. I use them and I teach my clients to use them. But if you, all you have is the, like, if the biggest thing you've got in your toolkit is to try to out-technologize, somebody's younger, smarter, more hungry is always going to come along. I'd much rather go deeper. Yeah. Um, and that all makes real sense. And so going even deeper... <laughs> I like that you go like going deeper. So when you talk about, you know, having those hard conversations, how, you know, going deeper, how do people even start those conversations off? How do we start to gain the trust of those people who might be interested in having those conversations? But yes, we've got to start building those relationships with them. Yeah, we need to start to look for, you know, when I got online in 2007, I was on Twitter and, you know, looking for who was interested in conversations about conscious business and the use of social technologies to put that into service for transformational and social impact goals and just being willing to enter into the dialogue. Social media is a great equalizer. You know, at first I thought, oh no, you know, I need to reinvent myself. I'm tired of being a broke social worker. The New Mexico economy is really, it's one of the most limited economies in the United States. We're either number 50 or number 49 of 51 states all the time, right? It's not an easy economy. I thought, oh gosh, I got to move to California or New York if I'm going to do this and reinvent myself. And then I got online and I found Twitter. So Social media is a huge gift. It equalizes. It's not completely equalizes, but it allows people who don't live in San Francisco or London or, you know, in these big urban centers where most of this work is happening to step into the conversation. So Soren and I got on Twitter in 2007 when there weren't that many people talking about social impact and conscious business. And suddenly we got invited to Google to learn about their Search Inside Yourself program before there was a book written. It's a mindfulness and emotional intelligence program. And we got to go to Zappos. Suddenly we're talking to Tony Shea the leadership team in 2008 when they were the very day they were handing out t-shirts saying to their employees saying thank you for making us a billion dollar a year company and intent they had to have good impact as Zappos as as their company this was before Amazon bought them out in 2009 they were doing some more social impact work they've scaled that back a little bit but at the time they were looking to push that edge as a large company and they wanted to talk to people who cared about this stuff we flew out to Zappos and spent an entire day with Tony Shea and the leadership team there only because we were willing to have real honest dialogue on social media and I guess that's part of it isn't it it's about each one of us having the courage to stand for and and to vocalize what we stand for exactly like so let me tell you about what I did today because I always hate it when somebody gives all these examples from 10 or 20 years ago so 
Awarepreneurs is, I'm the founder of this social impact and awareness-based entrepreneurial community. And we have 2,600 plus members. I don't remember exactly, 2,650 or something like that. And we've been having, we're a very diverse community. We very explicitly put social justice as one of our core values. And we're particularly taking on, you know, we're basically from two lineages, the lineage of the awareness or wisdom or spiritual entrepreneur world and the lineage of the social impact, social entrepreneur. Both of these lineages have done a really lousy job over the years of really being diverse spaces, really paying attention to diversity and inclusion. They're very white spaces for the most part. So we've taken it on and we've had incredibly dynamic and hard conversations about racism, white supremacy, white fragility, and lots of other topics along those lines. And our community, there's still members in our community that are telling me, matter of fact, three members, three white members, left the community and told me in very strong language that they felt we are off track, that the other communities they know that focus on these kind of issues don't talk about this. And so I posted about that, let people know. At the same time, we had 20 new members in the same time frame that three members asked to or left, 20 new people came and about 60 to 70% of them were people of color. So I'm good with those three people leaving. And our community is good with those three people leaving. But we still have people in our who still are in the community saying, we're off track. We shouldn't be focused this much on the conversations about racism, diversity, inclusion, etc. So I recorded a podcast episode. I've never done this before. I didn't interview a guest. Um, it's episode number 18. So the podcast has been going on about four or five months. And the topic was called, why do we talk about racism so much in awarepreneurs? And I give seven reasons about very specific things like, you know, it's one of our core values. It's part of our business strategy and being known as a community that's taking this on is part of the reason we're growing so fast. It goes back to what I was saying earlier about having hard conversations that most people want to ignore or skim over and et cetera. And then I posted in our group, I want every white person in our community, everybody's welcome to listen to it, but I am specifically asking every white community member in Awarepreneurs to listen to this episode. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And I love how you've taken what was, some people would have seen a very challenging situation. You've turned it around. And isn't it fascinating, actually, how people feel that when somebody is leading a group and so many people actually enjoy those conversations, that it's, they feel that you are off track. <laughs> Rather, it's that sense of belonging, isn't it? And feeling uncomfortable with it. And what you've done is you've taken that and you have had a conversation and what I love what I really love about what you do is how through doing that and having the courage to do that you do get us to really question what is important to us and sometimes it raises the awareness of some things that we may not realize that we're doing or saying um, that is not necessarily the way we want to be perceived it's easy to talk about social impact and want somebody out there to change. And this is the beauty of awareness practices. We, we have a long understanding in awareness practices that, you know, we have to really deeply look at them, our personal relationship to the material itself. That's part, it's a, it's a deep strength 
of the awareness movement. And when you look at human beings changing, um, awareness practices are some, and I won't get into all the research because that's not today's uh, topic. But if you look at practices like mindfulness, we know that these are some of the most sustainable human change approaches that exist on planet Earth. And that's one of our strengths as communities, as awarepreneurs, as a community. We understand that research. We know those practices, or at least some of a good portion of our community is very familiar with them. Other folks who are new to them are excited to learn, or at least willing to learn. They're saying, wow, tell me more about this research, because by now we have a lot of research about how these practices lead. So we have to take in our own deep experience. We can't only, a matter of fact, there's a, there's a great book called No More Heroes about the tendency, particularly for white and more privileged people, to want to go and change somebody out there. You know, come in, he wrote it after seeing on the ground what had happened in the U.S. after the Katrina disaster in New Orleans and watching all these white people come from somewhere else trying to save New Orleans and particularly hard hit in that community where the black neighborhoods in New Orleans. And he just like shook his head, what a freaking mess. And he wrote this book called No More Heroes where he traveled around the world and talked about what he called the white savior complex. So in the social justice and social impact entrepreneurial space, that tendency of wanting to do good, but not really paying attention to the way we're showing up in our own personal relationship with the material really gets in the way of having some of the impact that we say we want to have. So as a community, that's part of what we ask each other to do. And as a founder of a community like that, I try to start with myself. What's my relationship to this particular piece that's showing up that I want to see change in the world, where do I have blind spots? Where am I not fully in integrity? Where do I need to, you know, get some help and support to stay awake to the places that I go to sleep around this before I go out into the community and um, or into the larger world and ask anybody else to do anything? What we're really talking about here is that for any one of us to have social impact through our business, it really starts with us and about being mindful about who we are when we show up and what we're doing. So for you, though, and, you know, in terms of educating different business owners and entrepreneurs in this, why would you say it's important for a business to be so mindful of its impact? Why so many people might try to do this personally, but it's almost creating that shift and having people move from, well, we know what mindfulness is. We know how to manage who we are outside our business. Why do you think it's so important for us to really be mindful of social impact inside our businesses? It's a great question, Alison. You know, Walmart's a number of years back, worked really hard to try to make a case for how green they were. The whole green initiative, you know, there's even a term for this in the social impact space. It's called greenwashing. We are getting smarter. We've seen companies try to jump on the bandwagon that social impact is good for business. And there's actually really good research that if people trust that you're deeply looking at not just how do you make more money, but you're looking at how to, you know, Tom's shoes, for instance, as a classic example. It's part of their business strategy and their marketing. When you buy a pair of Tom's shoes in the developed world, they give a pair of shoes to usually to young people, but to somebody in the less developed world where they don't have shoes and there's a lot of health problems associated. They've done a lot of research about that. You know, Walmart tries to jump on that bandwagon. There's lots of companies that are trying to jump on that bandwagon. So our bullshit detector, I don't know if I can swear on your (laughs) podcast, but (laughs) I do swear. Our bullshit detectors have gotten more sophisticated. And so there's a lot of companies wanting to do social impact 
impact. But if, you know, if you talk about how great a company you are and we're so amazing and we're so conscious and every single face in your company is lily white, you don't look like the world. You don't look mm-hmm. like, you know, your most countries, certainly here in the U.S., it's a very diverse country. The world we live in is incredibly diverse in getting more brown and more black every year. Right. So when a social impact company comes along, this we're freaking amazing. You should hire us. You should use our products. And every single person is a person of privilege. There's a questions being asked. We need to take a look at ourselves and both, you know, individually, the people that work in a company, our marketing. I can't tell you how many people of color are so tired of white social impact business websites having entirely white faces on them over and over and over again. We just need to do better. The bar is raising and the market is changing. It's a much more mature market. I still think it's an incredible opportunity to run and enjoy a thriving business in this space doing social impact work. But it's not like 30 years ago when anybody doing something with social impact was so far ahead of the curve that they were likely to get some traction and some mileage out of just using those social impact goals in their marketing. Now people are looking more deeply and they're asking harder questions and the space is more mature and there's people who have done this deep work. And if your company hasn't yet, it's going to be really hard for you to compete. Yeah. Definitely. And you're absolutely right. I mean, one of the things that I'm, I'm spending quite a bit of time doing is, is collating all sorts of research and data around, you know, the fact that, the, 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 you know, that proves that doing good is actually good for business. But as you say, because the market, because it's so evolved now, and as consumers, we're far more savvy. As consumers, we're more likely to question things. We are expecting that complete and utter alignment um, all through a business. So the and first that's a good thing in my book. <laughs> totally, totally. Because to me, the first stage is, you know, it's funny because I was speaking to one of the other guests on, on the show um, a few weeks ago, uh, Joe Waters, and he was talking about how in the corporate world, you know, social impact is, it's the norm for so many businesses now. But with small to medium-sized businesses, it is still not quite the norm. <laughs> you know, when I go out and speak, people are saying, wow, that's so obvious. Why didn't I think about it? Yeah. But a lot of people haven't just, it's not necessarily through the fact that they don't want to or they have negative views or values on something. They've just not had that conscious awareness around what they can do in their business. Absolutely. It's still pretty early. You don't get to be like the first early, early, early adapter anymore because they're in almost every sector. There's somebody doing it with a social impact intention, but it's still, there's still a lot of room and you're still ahead of the curve if you adapt and start to weave it in in your own way, in a way that fits your company values. You still got a lot of room and I think you definitely have an edge on a company that's not looking at this at all. Definitely, definitely. I mean, that's what all the research shows. And I'm on a bit of a test. Go, you know, when I go out and speak now, I've got a couple of exercises I do just to test the audiences. And it's the same feedback every time. It does make a difference when we, when we focus on social impact too, without a doubt. So how do you know that you are actually, you know, we're talking about us as business owners having the desire to make a difference in the world and to have a positive social impact. But how do you actually know that you are having a positive impact through what you're doing? It's a great question, Alison. You know, um, there's some story-related data and then we're starting to like look at more metrics. 
Um, Awarepreneurs is still very part-time venture and paulzelzer.com is still just me. I have some contractors that I hire out to and, you know, hire for their services. You know, incredible person that, you know, does the production on my podcast, for example. But both ventures are still a solo venture. So I don't have a huge like metrics you know, in place with lots of ways to compare data through time. Really, I'm a storyteller. I love stories. And every day we're hearing stories. If you go into the Awarepreneurs community, you know, go look at our Facebook page. You'll see the reviews. They're there and they're public. You'll hear the stories, particularly for me, people who've traditionally been left out of the conversation. And when I say left out, I'm talking about really specific things. Like if you look at the the way, the amount of dollars the amount of money that gets invested in companies that are founded by women and people of color, it's vastly, not a little bit, it's vastly lower than the number of dollars or money that goes into companies that are founded mostly by young white men, highly educated. So every day that I go to work, there are people of color, there are women, there's trans and gay entrepreneurs who are don't easily fit into the standard business networks. One of my colleagues here, even in New Mexico, which is the highest proportion of people of color in the United States because of our large Hispanic and Native American population, even here, our business networks are mostly white. So by building a network that's focused so clearly on social justice and so clearly has an intent to empower entrepreneurs of color, women entrepreneurs, gay, lesbian, transgendered, and questioning, those are deeply welcome and we, I go out of my way. To, I was just telling you before we turned on the um, uh, recording button, for example, about Elsie Escobar, a woman who works at Libsyn and, and her particular mission in the world is to help women of color use podcasting to build their platforms and grow their social impact businesses. And I'm going to be interviewing Elsie, uh, I think on Thursday or something like that. In the next couple of weeks, there'll be an episode on the Awarepreneurs podcast. I'm explicitly looking for voices that are left out and interviewing them and lifting them up. Up and raising them up every single day I go to work. And the impact that has comes through the stories. Somebody talks about how we did an interview of Andrea Renee um, Johnson's um, program, Coaching as Activism, and five people, it was $350, five people signed up. So, you know, from one interview or in, in the associated conversations it created in Aware Printers, right? Here's a black woman who's talking about coaching as activism and addressing things that don't normally get talked about. And from our community, a lot of people raised their hand, put it on a radar, and she made more money, right? So those are the kinds kinds of things that are happening every single day. I get an email, a Facebook message, somebody saying that our community helped them stay in it, work through their fears about startup, jump in, make more money, feel empowered, not give up, feel like their voice matters. It's like every day that happens. Yeah. And I think what I love about what you've just shared there is the importance of noticing the small things that happen every day, because I'm sure so, quite a few people listening to this will also get different reviews and emails and you know that feedback that you're talking about, but maybe again, just not consciously acknowledge 
the impact that they are having. And so it can be some very simple things. And I can remember there was one thing that really stood out, and I'm, I'm not sure if you're able to talk about this or not, but when you had a different community and for various reasons that one stopped and you set up, you know, you've set up awarepreneurs. And one of the things that I'm fascinated about is us developing brands that matter, the meaningful brands. Mm. And to me, a brand that matters is one where people would care if you weren't there. And I remember getting, it must have been an email or a Facebook message. I can't remember what it was, Paul, but I remember getting a communication from you saying that you'd shut down one. And my initial response was, oh no, (laughs) what am I going to do? It's one of the best Mm. communities that there is. And that I think is just one one of the things that I that I strive to be able to create, and I think is such a powerful way to know you are making a difference because you pretty much very quickly rebuilt the awarepreneur community um, to the size it is because you had already developed a brand that mattered and that we cared about. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, I want to just bracket in a second because I imagine people are saying, well, what is all this? I'm an entrepreneur. What does it all have to do with making money? And we talked about a particular strategy about how we do that. When you have a brand and you have a community that people are invested in, we'll talk about that in a second. But I love what you're saying. And yes, I can talk a little bit about it. There was a previous community before awarepreneurs that had 20,000 plus members. We'd worked real hard to build it. And we ran into a legal situation around the name and had to make a hard decision and shut that group and that brand down and moved into the Awarepreneurs brand. It was hard. It was traumatic to some folks and it took a while. Actually, we're still some people uh, a year, almost a year later are still kind of, or 10 months later, are still kind of finding out that we've reinvented ourselves. We did our best to try to get the word out there, but some people didn't open the email or, you know, just missed the announcements. But what happened was the community reformed and people put out the world and, you know, within 24 hours, we had a thousand members in the new group, right? And the conversations just picked up. And uh, the only difference was I used it as an opportunity to come back to the core values and walked further out in the direction of social justice. I felt like I wasn't fully expressing the social impact that I wanted to. And I was like, oh, I got to rebrand anyway. What's the story that's true now? And moved further uh, out on the branch and saying, again, these two lineages that we come from haven't done a good job. Um, So let's take that on. Let's make it more explicit in the brand stories. Instead of something that was one of quite a few, let's lead with it and make it one of, you know, one of just a few core values and put it front and center in the brand story. And it's had an incredible result, even more resonance, more rippling, more impact than when it was further back in our brand story. Yeah. Yeah, because my experience of that is that, yeah, when we have the courage to actually really share what's important to us, it polarizes us more and we attract more of those people that have those stronger views. Yeah, definitely. So I can't believe the time here, but I, um, I've got a few more questions I would really love to ask you about. And then we might just have to get you back on the show, Paul. Anytime, Alison. <laughs> um, I love what oh, you do yes. in any way I can help. Yeah. We may well just have to get you back on the show again. So you've mentioned a couple of times that you have your business doing the mentoring piece and you also have you know what you're doing around the awarepreneurs and one of I'd love to know to what extent has doing the awareness the awarepreneurs piece actually generated you more paid business 
That's a great question. Yeah. So they're two separate businesses, but they're very much work together. So being the found, first working for Wisdom 2.0, very large wisdom and wellness brand, and then starting Awarepreneurs. So like I was, I can't believe I'm saying this. My clients are going to laugh. I don't remember the last time I sent out a newsletter. And most, the reason most people hire me and, you know, I get paid good money depending on the contract. For instance, for a 90 minute session, I get paid between four and $500 for a consultation for a 90 minute session, work before and work after. It's pretty good money, right? Um, I feel really blessed. And I don't remember the last time I sent out a newsletter and I'm a marketing consultant. <laughs> <laughs> right? Think about that. That's, that's not the only thing I do, but that's the primary people, the primary reason people hire me is for marketing consulting. I understand email marketing and I know the technologies, but I haven't sent out a newsletter in, i embarrassed to say, it might be that newsletter that you were talking about when I talked about pausing wisdompreneurs and inviting people to awarepreneurs, which was in January. And here we are in October. So for 10 months, a marketing guy hasn't sent out a newsletter. <laughs> And <laughs> how did that happen? <laughs> right? So uh, just really granular data. And I have plenty of clients and my daughter's in Germany and having a great time there. And we eat mostly organic. I don't live expensive lifestyle. I bought a new car last summer. You know, we eat mostly organic food. I live well, right? Not extravagantly, but in a simple, elegant kind of way. I live well. And my family lives well. Everybody has health insurance. And that's the impact of the community you're talking about, that that kind of deep community allows both of these businesses to thrive. And I do a lot of work in the realm of producing content, a lot of work in the realm of community development. I do a lot of work in the realm of, you know, meeting with people who joined our Patreon campaign and helping them figure out what their goals are in their business and how to, but I don't have to do some of the kind of standard marketing stuff because the community takes care of me as I'm working really hard to take care of it. That's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Community takes care of you while you look after it. Love it. Really. Yeah. And now you mentioned your Patreon um, project. So would you like to share that? Because I remember when I heard about this, it was so new, and but it's a fantastic model to use. I love Patreon. I love recurring revenues. So Alison, I love Patreon. Before I get into the tech of it, though, I just want to invite people to understand what it is and how it works. The thing about Patreon is it's recurring revenue. Let me say that again, recurring revenue. <laughs> I see so many social impact entrepreneurs burn themselves out because they're always like, oh, I got to do the next launch. I got to find the next client. I got to, I got to, I got to. And they're constantly doing the hustle. And I've done the hustle. I know that world. But the thing about Patreon is it's recurring revenue. In other words, you get paid every month for doing something that you're already doing, like whatever your content marketing strategy is. So in your case, Allison, you do a podcast. I do a podcast. I do a Facebook Live show, right? And I have this community. The, pod, the Patreon page for Awarepreneurs actually says Paul Zelizer is creating uh, the Awarepreneurs podcasting community. So what it is, is you, it's recurring crowdfunding for content creators. So if you think of like Kickstarter or Indiegogo, or I don't know what kind of crowdfunding platforms are popular in the UK. In the US, the, big, the best known one is uh, Kickstarter. So... Kickstarter is usually one-time crowdfunding for a particular thing, an album, a movie, a product, a tech product, or you know, a new skateboard or whatever, right? Patreon takes that model but makes it recurring for your content or other, you know, I call it the protein in your marketing. Something really powerful that people want and 
in our case for wirepreneurs, it's our podcast. It's such a powerful platform and people love it. Really work hard to have good guests who are bringing very valuable content. We have meaningful conversation. Every episode is almost an hour. It's deep conversation about what that social impact entrepreneur is doing, unpacking their business really specifically. How do you earn your money? What are your revenue streams? What are your marketing strategies? As well as some of the practices to take care of themselves and how they got to doing this work. People love that podcast. So right now we have, uh, as of this morning, we have 54 people who are contributing to Patreon and I'm making about $1,000 a month. It's only been up and running about four months and every month it goes up. You can change it if somebody's a a Patreon contributor, somebody recently who was at $25 went down to $10 because her financial situation had changed. Somebody dropped off altogether. But in general, when you have a community that loves your work and you continue to provide value for them and you find ways to use this Patreon platform skillfully, what you'll see is you'll get paid more every month without having to do some new launch, some new product, some new hustle. Just keep doing great work and providing great information and content for your users, and they'll give you more money for the rest of the time that you're providing that kind of great content. It'll go up every single month for the rest of your life. It's such, it was such an eye-opener to, to hear you talk about this, actually, Paul, because there are so many people who are trying to create that good content, especially where, I mean, a lot of social impact can be around education, whether or not we're the business or we are a particular cause you know, and we're trying to educate in different ways. So it's just a phenomenal idea. And I'm sure quite a lot of our listeners will be checking that out. So if you were to share just one more tip that with our listeners about growing, um, having more social impact through growing a community, what, what would you share? I would suggest really tuning into the voices who are left out of your sector. Who's usually not tended to? So the, the standard thing to do is if used, um, like for instance, a lot of aware printers, a lot of wellness businesses, if you go to Wisdom 2.0, I used to be the director of social media, two thirds of the, the people who've liked the um, Wisdom 2.0 page are women. And if you look at their pictures, it's mostly white women. That's, that's who tends to show up in a kind of mindfulness-based brand, right? So I'm not saying ignore white women, but I'm saying that's who everybody's competing for. Every single person out there who's a coach or a personal development person is trying to get the dollars and the attention of white. If you listen to the voices that are traditionally left out, it immediately starts to set you apart, right? So in the work that I've done with awarepreneurs, I'm very explicitly looking for people of color who is a lot of leverage there. It's a, it's a pain point in the conscious business and in the wellness and in the awareness and in the mindfulness space, in the social impact space. And just by lifting them up and raising them, we're doing something different and we're modeling that you can create truly diverse and inclusive communities in a space that's from our two lineage traditions, like I said earlier, that have really not had success doing that. And that's given us a tremendous amount of lift and really set us as a thought leader organization from very, very early on. Fantastic. Paul, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. I have taken so many nuggets away, including when I have just highlighted that last one that you've said, listen to the voices who are being left out of the conversations. So, so powerful. And also, you know, I think that's probably the common, the strand that I'm taking here about having the courage to have hard conversations that others in our, in our particular sectors or industries are not 
having and to start having those conversations so that our businesses and whatever they are can be just more mindful and representative of who we are. But actually also one of the other nuggets I'm definitely taking away, you know, we've, we've not really talked about the word diversity, but that's what, what we're really looking at. A lot of what we're talking about has been about. And until recording this, I'd always thought of diversity in, you know, in, in a social sense in communities or, so, or the diversity of an organization. I don't think I'd ever actually sat down and thought, how do I incorporate more diversity specifically in my business? So thank you for everything you shared. And that for me is one of, that's one of the biggest nuggets that I'm taking away. And I've got lots of ideas. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Oh, it's such an honor, Alison. Love your work. And, and we got to get you on the Awarepreneurs podcast. It's been a standing invitation. So I know. Well, I think we're speaking in a few weeks, which should be fantastic. I know we are. I'm so excited about it. Oh, thank you very, very much. And so what's the best way, if people want to get hold of you, how can they best do that? Obviously, we're going to have show notes and everything, but if you'd like to share it here in case anybody doesn't check the website and things. The more community focused is awarepreneurs.com and look for the link to our Facebook group there or in the marketing consulting work that I do. It's just paulzelizer.com. Would you like to spell? spell yes. Yeah, how the hell do you spell that name anyway? Z-E-L-I-Z-E-R. Brilliant. Fabulous. And if you're in the UK, Z is Z. <laughs> yes, that's right. Darn Americans. <laughs> a little bit of translation goes a long way. <laughs> But generally speaking, I have to say, I've, re I've really enjoyed listening to that American twang for the last hour. So thanks very much, Paul. And thanks to everybody for listening to this episode. I look forward to hearing what you think and hearing your comments and ideas. Please do remember to check out givetoprofit.com or alison.com forward podcast for the full show notes and details of how you can connect with us both. Until next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Gift to Profit podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, remember to subscribe to the show on iTunes so you hear about our next episodes. It would be great if you left a rating and review of the show there too. For every review this month, Alison will be sponsoring a child to go to school for a day in Cambodia. You can connect and chat with Alison on Twitter using the handle at Alison Mac and through the Give to Profit Facebook fan page. And if you don't already have a copy of Alison's best-selling book, Give to Profit, How to Grow Your Business by Supporting Charities and Social Causes, you can get this on Amazon around the world. <laughs>